says, Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Again, verse number 6 is where we're going to focus today. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Let's pray and we'll go on today. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for this time of year where we uh, we we celebrate your coming and your your gift to the world and the opportunity for us to receive your gift of salvation by you coming to be the sacrifice for sin. Help me to speak and to be guided by what uh, you would have said today in your word, through your word, and your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> it says in verse 6, And his name shall be called Wonderful. Wonderful. There are so many things here that we can talk about, and I'm going to have to talk fast. Wonderful, marvelous, miraculous, astonishing. I remember years ago reading a sermon about this verse, and I've developed my own sermon as a result of it. And so I love Christmas time because I go back and look at some of the old sermons and sometimes bring them out again and, and look at the passages of Scripture and talk about them. But he is a wonderful Savior to me. He's wonderful in his birth. In chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. It means God with us. A virgin will bear a son. This is a miracle. This is a sign. Some Bible versions that are out there today have changed that to say a young woman will bear a son. That's not a sign. Young women can have babies and uh, do have babies all the time. That's not a sign. But a virgin, now there's a sign from God. That's a proof that it is God that did this. It is not any human that did this. And a virgin gave birth to a son. So his birth is wonderful. And that's what we celebrate and what we're talking about even right now as we go into this season of Christmas and we talk about his wonderful coming and his wonderful birth. But he's not just wonderful in his birth, although we could talk about that forever. And I love the fact that he was virgin born because it proves that he is God's son and that his blood is blood stained with blood so divine as the song says the cross shed the blood of Christ upon the cross not going to take too much time right now to say this but you ask a doctor the blood comes from the father not the mother virgin birth means something we're saved by the blood of Christ and not any other way his wonderful birth but not only that his gift, see, when he was born, that's not where he started. He gave himself before he was born. Bethlehem is not the beginning of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us he was in the beginning with God. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Bob was just singing about a minute ago. I was the taker. He was the giver. I'm the reason he had to be the sacrifice because of my sin. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 and verse number 9 says it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He was born in a stable, probably a cave, laid in a manger where animals eat out of. He was born as poor as you can be born. But he gave himself, he came out of the ivory palaces and into a world of woe. That's wonderful. His wonderful birth and his wonderful gift. He's also wonderful, wonderful as I've alluded to a minute ago, but in John chapter number one, it says, in the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. We know Genesis chapter one says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He is the wonderful creator. In John chapter one, it says, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians chapter 1 says the same thing. Hebrews chapter 1 says the same thing. He is the creator. Our founding fathers must have believed in a creator. All men are capital created equal and endowed by their capital C creator with certain unalienable rights. Science has regressed. They would say progressed. But they have regressed, and so now all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that we all just got here in random chance and tadpoles that became human eventually. No wonder people are worshiping the spaghetti monster. He is the creator. I'm worshiping Christ, the creator. When the wise men came to find him, they bowed on their faces before him and worshiped him as king and creator. And that brings me to my second one, the third one. He is king. When the wise men came in Matthew chapter 2, they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? That's an interesting phrase and an interesting question because babies aren't born king. You might be born prince and you might be king someday, but no one is king when they're born except for the one who was king before he was born. And he is king and he always has been. The Bible says he is king of kings and Lord of lords and all power is given unto him in heaven and earth, he said. Philippians chapter number two. Philippians chapter two describes him this way and says this about him in the future that's coming. Philippians two and verse number nine. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. There's a day coming when every knee will bow before Christ, who is king. He is king of the universe. I realize there are people out there who claim to be atheists and agnostic, but I'm telling you there's coming a day when every knee will bow. And the next verse says, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is king, and whether you recognize him as king or not now, you will one day. But if you wait until that day, it will be too late for you to be saved and to be forgiven. But everyone, even the unbeliever and the Christ haters, will have to acknowledge him as king. The Bible says, in Revelation 17 and Revelation 19, he is king of kings and Lord of lords. I love the hallelujah chorus and Handel's Messiah. And uh, 
King of kings forever and ever. I can just listen to that. And this time of year, that seems to go around. Have you ever seen that, that, uh, that flash mob at the mall where uh, about 10 years ago, a whole bunch of people went and infiltrated the, the, the food court and all of a sudden one person started, stood up and started singing that. And then another person stood up and all of a sudden the, the few people that weren't a part of the plan realized they were surrounded by a choir of the Hallelujah Chorus. I love that. I'm so thankful in this country we, we still recognize this season. However, if you, if you pay any attention at all, you realize that people aren't celebrating Jesus this month. The, the, the world in general is, is, is having a season, but it's not the reason for the season. Listen, he is king of kings and Lord of lords. He is our king. And then lastly, he is savior under his wonderful attributes. He is Savior. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. This is the most wonderful of all. This is what really needs to emphasize what really is important. Luke chapter 2 and verse uh, number 11. This is what the angels said to the shepherds when they announced his birth. Luke 2 and verse 11. Luke 2 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. If they had said king, the shepherds would have said, well, that's nice, but we're shepherds. We can't go. We can't go. They would never let us go talk to the king. They would never let us in the presence of a king. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. You and I and every human being on planet earth needs a savior. And that's capital S, savior. Who is born this day in the city of David a savior, which is Christ the Lord. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by grace and not works. Nobody can save themselves. No church made up of human beings can save you. No individual is going to save you other than Jesus Christ, the Savior. And there is no other Savior, including the spaghetti monster. There is no one out there else that can save. He is the one and only Savior. He is, the, he is a wonderful Savior to me. Thankful for the song that was just saying because it's a reminder. I was the reason. He was the sacrifice. He is wonderful. For unto you is born this day a Savior, a wonderful. He is wonderful. Now, secondly, not only is he wonderful, but our passage says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Counselor. The idea of a counselor, someone that advises you or, or even admonishes you and, and, and prods you as a, as a shepherd with sheep and, or to direct and to guide. We, we sometimes hear of guidance counselors. Psalm 33, I'll read a couple passages, Psalm 33 and then also Proverbs chapter 19. In Psalm 33, here's what it says concerning the word counsel and counselor. Psalm 33 and verse number 10. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. You and I, those of us who are Christians, we are born again, we are saved. We have a counselor the world does not understand. 
We have counsel. In fact, we have 66 counselors called the 66 books of the Bible. They are our counsel and our guide. I'm not saying that there's no need or there's never any use for a human counselor. And you can certainly get human counsel. And I've sought out counsel for th- different things that I might have needed help with. I, I'm not a great mechanic. And so when there's something goes wrong, I need some counsel and some advice on what could it be and what I could do about it. But in the real major things of life, he is the counselor and his word is our counsel. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. I don't care how old-fashioned it might seem. I promise you this, Jesus Christ, the word of God is your best counselor. He is our guide. The Bible teaches us to pray to him. And in Sunday school this morning, we again were talking about our opportunity that we have to go before him in prayer and have his counsel and his guidance. And not only is he himself our counselor, but he leaves us his Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14 and verse 16, it says, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter, capital C, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit, capital S, of truth, which the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come again to you. And verse 26 says, But the Comforter, capital C, which is the Holy Ghost, which the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Listen to me. I have the counsel of the best. That is the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit and his word. And I have great counsel and great opportunity to not make stupid and foolish decisions and to go in a way of destruction. He is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And the counselor is someone who advises and admonishes to direct me and to guide me. And I need that and you need that. Chapter 16, verse 13, it says in John 16, 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. If you'll listen to the counsel of the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if you, you say, I don't understand what you're talking about. Maybe if you're not saved, you don't understand. I like to say it this way. If you're not saved, you don't have an antenna. You can't receive, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you can't receive the things of God because it's foolishness to you. It's like being a radio without an antenna. But when you get saved, that antenna is then magnified and energized and you're able to listen and hear and understand. I'm not talking about something spooky. I'm just saying that you read his word, you pray, and you're listening and and following the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. Just this past week, my wife, who I do believe, reads her Bible and prays and listens to the Spirit of God. Just this past week, she was at a gro- at the grocery store and she saw a man that she recognized. And, hey, we were trying to visit your house and 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 you're, you've moved. And, and he said, "Yeah, I'm in town. I, I moved, but I am in town because I've got a cousin in the hospital." And, oh, who's that? And he said, "In fact, would you mind visiting her?" Well, well, sure. That she's standing there talking to a man she hardly knows in the grocery store. And so she said, I think, and the Lord just put it upon her heart, you need to go talk to that woman. Well, I knew who the woman was, but my wife didn't. And, of course, I didn't know this was all going on. And so my wife goes to the hospital and asks for so-and-so and goes down to the room and knocks on the door and opens the door, and there's the woman in the bed and her neighbor sitting there. 
my wife walks in and my wife recognizes the neighbor. She's been to church before and the neighbor starts crying instantly. And my wife tries to not focus on the lady crying and just focus on the lady in the bed and starts to witness to her and, and talk to her. And Wilma's gone several times this week now back to that room. But when she walked out, the neighbor lady walked out with her and she said, you know, I was just sitting here so helpless wondering what I could do for my neighbor who's, who's dying and probably won't leave this hospital. And she said, I thought of you guys and I thought I should try to get a hold of you guys and see if you'd come visit. And as soon as I thought it, you walked in the door. Look, I believe the Holy Spirit of God prods us. I believe the Holy Spirit of God leads us and guides us and directs us. And if we'll listen, and we'll pay attention. He'll direct our paths and he'll guide us and help us to be where we need to be. You know, when I have a flat tire, I had, I had a fuel pump went out last week. And when stuff like that happens and, 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 and unusual events take place, I, of course, I'm like, ugh, like everybody else does. But my second thought is, I wonder why God has me out here right now. I wonder if I'm supposed to witness to this stranger that I, I would have never talked to him had I not had the flat tire. The counselor guides us. <clears throat> it's wonderful to have a counselor. I don't know about you, but this world's nuttier every day. And I need a counselor. I need someone who's going to help me and guide me and direct my path. Years ago, we had a, we had a German shepherd dog. We have another one now. We love her. Years ago, we first moved to Custer. Our dog was used to 14 acres, and we were telling her, nope, now it's one acre. And so she'd get off of our property and go explore the neighborhood. She explored one neighbor, and I don't blame that neighbor for not being too happy about this strange German shepherd being on their property. But my wife, again, said, hey, maybe this is an opportunity to talk to this person about the Lord and invite them, and eventually... That whole dog incident years later turned into that person coming to the church, coming to salvation, and is in this room right now. I'm so thankful for a counselor who helps us to realize it's not just about our life in the present, but there's a bigger picture that he knows. There's a bigger picture going on that he, that he just wants us to direct our paths and cross our paths with someone, and, and maybe that's why we're having a problem, so that we can find out, hey, this is where I'm supposed to be and he's counseling and guiding me. But the other part about counselor is that legal part. You've heard of lawyers called counselor before, haven't you? Or advocate. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, not only do I need him as counselor to be my guide, I need him as counselor to be my lawyer. Because there is a holy, righteous God that I cannot stand before on my own. There is a holy, righteous God that I wouldn't even dare to go in his presence without my counselor. And if the holy, righteous God were sitting on his throne and I was to be presented before him as many will someday, without Jesus Christ, I would have nothing to say. And that holy, righteous God would have every right to send me to hell where I belong. But because 
the Lord Jesus Christ offered himself as my counselor and my advocate. And I turned to him and received him as my savior. I now can stand before the holy, righteous God, the judge of the universe, with Jesus speaking for me. Your honor, he's a real dingling. He's a sinner. And he deserves hell. But your honor, he asked me to pay for him, and I, you know I did. He's my wonderful counselor. He's my advocate. He, he gives me the ability to stand before God. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and men. That's the man, Christ Jesus. I have no problem recognizing the blessing and the beauty of Mary, the mother of Jesus. But listen to me, Mary was not a sinless person. Mary had to offer a sin sacrifice, as the Bible says, after Jesus was born. Mary was a godly lady. But listen to me carefully. Mary's not standing for you or for anybody before God. There's only one mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. That is the one and the only one. It will not be Pastor Matt that can do it. It will not be your friends that can do it or your church that can do it. It is only Jesus Christ. He is my advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Romans 8, 34 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Wow, isn't that awesome? Why are you okay, Pastor Matt? Jesus is for me. He's my lawyer. He's my advocate. And because of that, Hebrews chapter 4 says, I can come boldly to the throne of grace. He is my high priest. And he feels and understands my infirmities. And he, as a human but God also, can go to God the Father and say, Your Honor, I died for him. I speak for him. And I understand. That's awesome. That's wonderful. He's the wonderful co- You know what? I'm convinced that the whole world's looking for that. The, that's why people are religious. That's why even some people will worship the flying spaghetti monster. Something, somebody, somebody out there, the big daddy in the sky, somebody out there that they can rely on to be their salvation, to be their mediator, to be some, and that's why people are desperate. And so when you say, this is it, and they prop up some statue or some this or that, and people, oh, yes, this is it. Why? Because they want somebody to be their mediator. But in the end, we all know it's fake and it's false unless it's himself, the word of God. He is the wonderful counselor. Do you have that? Do you have him as your shepherd? He is the good shepherd. Do you have, or are you just doing it on your own? He's the wonderful counselor. Not only that, but the Bible says he is the mighty God. John chapter number eight. He is the mighty God. Well, I thought you said he was the son of God. Yep, he's that too. John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking and he's talking to some very religious but very unsaved and unbelieving Jews who are not happy with him and 
are denying and doubting that he was even virgin born earlier in the chapter. But in John chapter 8, this conversation ends this way and it resulted in them wanting to kill him. John eight fifty six. your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. You claim that Abraham is your father. Well, let me tell you something. Your great, great, great grandfather Abraham saw my day and was glad. Verse 57, they then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old and hast thou seen Abraham? Abraham died hundreds and thousands of years ago. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Remember when Moses was being spoken to out of that burning bush, God said, you tell them, I am. I am is God. And when Jesus, this human being standing before them said, I am. That was blasphemy. They instantly picked up rocks to stone him to death. Why? Because he was flat out saying, I am God. I am. I am the great. I am. They took up stones to kill him. Of course, it wasn't his time to die, and so he passed right on through. Jesus Christ is not just the Son of God. He is God. When the disciples in John 14 said, Lord, show us the Father, he said, haven't I been with you all this time? And why would you ask to see the Father? You've seen me. You have seen the Father. First John chapter 2 says, if you do not have the Son, you don't have the Father. John chapter 10 and verse 30, when he said, I am the good shepherd, he said, I and the Father are one. I don't understand how to explain completely and even fully comprehend the Trinity, the fact that he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But when he says, and when his word says that he is God, he is God. He is God in human flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the mighty God, and that's why he is creator. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Jehovah's Witnesses bad translation Bible says the Word was a little G God. No, Jesus Christ is God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. He is the mighty God. I don't have to fully comprehend it. I just know it's true. Back there in Philippians chapter 2, I was reading part of that. I'm going to go back and look at it again. Philippians chapter 2 again. I read the last part about him being the one that they would bow before. But I skipped over the first part of the passage. And so Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 6, it says, talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 6, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that's why God will exalt him and give him a name that every name would, every knee would bow to him. But verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus 
offended the Jews because he said he was God. But he didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God. He didn't think he was robbing God of any of his deity to say that he also was God. Again, some of the modern versions that are out there, and maybe even someone has one right now, says he didn't think being equal with God was something to be grasped. That's saying the opposite. He did think it was something to be grasped. Not only grasped, he was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I am. You've seen me. You have seen the Father. Pastor, it's confusing. I know. You know why? Because my brain is about this big, and my God is bigger than I can describe. So it's okay if my God's bigger than my brain can handle. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is, he is the mighty God. If you get fooled by this, please let me straighten you out. Jesus Christ was not a good man. Jesus Christ was not a good man. What do you mean? Don't, don't fall for that lie. A lot of people will tell you, well, I mean, do you believe Jesus was God? No. Well, do you believe he's a good? Well, yeah, I believe he's a good man. That's a lie. He said he was God. And good men don't lie about being God. So he either was the greatest fraud that the world has ever seen, and literally the whole world is, re- is worshiping and remembering his birth, and he was just a good man, which is a joke on all of us, or he's God. You can't have it halfway. He's either God or he's not even a good man. Don't, don't, don't compromise with your relatives and your neighbors and your coworkers on this. Either he's the virgin-born son of God, and he is God, or we ought to just chuck the whole thing. He's the mighty God. And it also says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he is the everlasting father. (laughs) I and the father are one. Lord, show us the father. How long have I been with you, and have you not seen the, you've seen me, you've seen the father. Here's what I love. Let me look, show you some things about everlasting and Father. Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Verse 1 and 2. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I love that phrase. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. We sing a song in Anchor Club on Wednesday night. And we talk about how God is the everlasting God. And the symbol that is used is an arrow going this way and this way. It's a great symbol, and here's why. Because God is not just everlasting that way. See, if you're saved, you have everlasting life. But you and I aren't from everlasting. You and I had a beginning. You and I were conceived and then born nine months later, and and we had a beginning. But when you research God's history, it's just everlasting. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Now, you match that with Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And why is Micah 5 2 so important? Well, because when the wise men came to Jerusalem, 
and they asked, where is he? They went to Micah 5.2 to find out where he was, and that's how they knew he was in Bethlehem. In Micah 5.2, it's quoted in Matthew 2, when they were helping the wise men find the directions. Micah 5.2 in verse, it says right here in verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, you small town, Yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now, who came in Bethlehem? Let me try that again. Who came in Bethlehem? Oh, thank you. (laughs) Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Everybody on the same page now? So who's it talking about here? It's talking about Jesus. In Bethlehem would come the one that's from everlasting. But God's everlasting. So is Jesus. He's the everlasting father. Again, there are versions out there that say from old, from ancient of days. Whoa, 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 whoa. That might be old, but that's not everlasting. That's why we use the Bible we use. We We don't cave to these modern versions. They take little chips away at the deity of Christ. He is from everlasting to everlasting. That's my God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He became flesh 2,000 years ago, but that's not where he started. He is the everlasting father. If you read in Luke chapter uh, uh, 48, Luke 8, 48, you don't need to turn there, but Jesus is talking to this woman who had this infirmity for a long time. And there's no doubt in my mind that this woman was older than Jesus. Jesus was in his 30s. This woman was, there's no doubt she was older than him, and yet he called her daughter. Why? Because he's been around longer than she has. Hebrews 13, verse 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And John 3, 16, as I've already quoted, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have. Folks, you cannot cannot have an everlasting father unless you're an everlasting child. And you only get to be an everlasting child by getting saved. If you haven't received his salvation, he's not your everlasting father. And when they teach you to say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, those are good words. But it means nothing if you've got it memorized, but you don't have him. That's like me going up to a complete stranger and saying, Hello, Father. You're not, you're not my son. What are you talking about? It does no good to memorize the words if that's not your father. What good is it to memorize the words if he isn't your father? But if he's your everlasting father, the words mean everything they say, Our Father. Which are in heaven. He is the everlasting Father. Jesus isn't just the Son of God, He is God. And He is the everlasting Father. And it's okay if I don't fully understand it, and you can't fully understand it, it's okay. You can't have the Father without the Son. Jehovah's Witnesses are in trouble because they don't recognize Jesus being equal with God. Jews and many others are in trouble because they will not recognize Jesus for who he is. He's the everlasting father. 
And anyone out there, and, and, and understand this, I don't know if you understand this or know this or not, but there are ministers who do not believe what I have said about Jesus today. There are ministers in other religions and other churches that do not even believe in the virgin birth. And imagine, I, I can't even imagine getting paid to preach and teach to people and they don't even believe in the virgin birth. There are people out there. I guess we shouldn't be too surprised if the spaghetti monster can get a following. He is the wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. And then here's, a, here's probably the best one. He is the Prince of Peace. When the angels announced his birth in Luke chapter 2 again, and this time verse 14, Suddenly, in verse 13, there was with a multitude, and with that one angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. He is the prince of peace. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, after it says, for by grace are you saved, not of your works. In verse 14, it says, and he has broken down the middle wall of partition between us and he has brought us together in peace. There are ethnicities that used to not get along but they can all be one family because of Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the church. <clears throat> there are people who used to hate one another but when they both get saved and get right with God, there is peace and the middle wall is broken down. John chapter 14, Jesus said this, peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives. Sure, the world's got a peace. You can go to the pharmacist and get something. It'll be, woo, that felt good for a while. You can go to the store and open up the, the refrigerated section or open up the six-pack or the 12-pack or the 24-pack, and you can drink away some peace for a while, but that's the world's peace. That's how the world gives peace. But Jesus said, I give you a peace that's not like the world. A peace that passes all understanding. Now, in case you're doubting this, he's also the one that stood up in the boat and said, peace, be still, and boom, everything was. Not necessarily a peace on the outside, but a peace on the inside. It might be somewhat of a surprise to you that someone's mother could pass away just 48 hours ago and they're in church today. You know why? There's a peace of knowing where they are right now. If you don't have that, you need it. He is the Prince of Peace. Why is the world more troubled now than we can remember? Because the world also is more rejecting of him than we can remember. Oh, sure. I know Custer's better than New York City. But when I get out and I go to the post office and I walk up the steps and I hear the songs being played, it's Santa Baby and Rudolph and Frosty. I have yet to go up the steps, down the steps, and listen to something that actually talked about him. There is a subtle desire from Satan and others to remove the reason 
for the season. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I have a phrase on my computer. It's just a sticky note, and it says, Be so confident in God's plan that you no longer get upset when things don't go your way. Great peace have they which love thy law. And you just, you just realize everything's under control by my heavenly Father. Never have I ever said, Lord, God, Father, you're not going to believe what happened. And he already knows. And if he knows, he allowed it. And he allowed it because he knew it would bring about something good. And I can have the assurance that all things work together for good. But pastor, I did it. You might have done it, but he still allowed it. Why? Because he knew all things would work together for good. But it's humbled me greatly. Yes, that's what he wanted, I guess. Don't you understand? He loves you, and he doesn't allow anything to happen or anything to be done without him saying, I can see how this will work together for good. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. I don't care what bad news I get this week. I know this. My heavenly father signed off on it already before I heard about it. And that means he's okay and I'm okay because I'm in his hands and I can trust him. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. Don't be anxious and full of worry. You don't need to be. Let God be God. We know that one day in the future, there's coming a day in that thousand-year reign called the millennium when the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The lion will eat straw like an ox. We've never seen days like that, but they're coming and the Prince of Peace will be in charge and that's why they'll be that way. And he's coming. I read a verse in my Bible reading just the other day. I'm going to show it to you. Second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one. If you understand the Prince of Peace and you realize that you have him, As I turn there, let me just remind you of another passage in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned the lawyer earlier. Let me tell you something. Not only do I stand before the great white throne of God, the judge, with my lawyer standing there representing me, but if Satan were to come and try to accuse me, and the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren, I promise you, Satan is always trying to accuse you and get you to doubt and to feel discouraged and defeated and guilty. Raise your hand if you're not guilty of anything. Of course we're guilty. That's why he died. Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust in your heart, you have committed adultery in your heart. Let me tell you something. I stand here as your pastor and say, I've committed adultery according to Jesus. He said, if you hate someone in your heart, it's like killing them. Guilty. 
but we can be like Pharisees and say, well, but I didn't do the act. But I, in my heart, had I had the opportunity, I would have. What I learned about the O.J. Simpson story is that good people can do rotten things, wicked things, things they didn't intend to do. And only by the grace of God have I not done some of the things, but I tell you right now, I fought them. And I wished them. And when my adversary, Satan, accuses me and says, he's guilty, my advocate says, he was, but I paid for it. He was, but he's received me and I've covered it and it's paid for. <laughs> That's why he's called the Prince of Peace. And I don't do this because I don't, I fear him too much, but Someone said, when Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. And when you realize you've been forgiven and you've been covered and you are continuing continuing to be covered and maybe you even pray, say, oh God, I just feel guilty again. And, and he says, what sins are you talking about? You, you asked for forgiveness for those a couple years ago. Well, I don't remember him anymore. He says, it's buried in the depths of the ocean as far as the east is from the west. I've removed them from you. That's what forgiveness is in God. And that's why he's the prince of peace. Only he could do that. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There's somebody out there that doesn't want you to have a sound mind. There's somebody out there that wants you to be afraid. But understand, when that spirit comes, it's not God. God's given you a spirit that helps you to have power and love and a sound mind. That's the Prince of Peace. That's what he's done and what he does for you and I. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Do you know him? Do you possess him as yours? With our heads bowed for a moment, we're going to pray.